Welcome to the Bell Ringers Teaching Podcast. Hi, I'm Kaylin Bullock, and I am an instructional technology coach in the Metro Detroit area. Hi, my name is Young Kim, and I recently graduated with a degree in social studies, secondary education, and I am currently living at home with my parents in the Seattle area. Hi, I am Paul Alberts, and I am a curriculum leader and geography teacher in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. Who is this, Paul? We have our first ever guest. So exciting. And second guest. Second guest. We had Kyla. Oh, we have had Kyla. Okay. Our first ever video podcast guest. Oh, I thought I was special. Well, you're our first ever. You're our first ever international guest joining us from the Netherlands today. And how, let's talk a little bit how I know, um, as our listeners know, I was Young's teacher and Paul was a student teacher under me, worked under me, worked with me. Anyway, he was my student teacher uh, for a semester. And so he was also Young's teacher during Mm -hmm. that time. And so we thought it would be great to have him on. So yeah, really excited. Yeah. So Young, why don't you take it away with our bell ringer question? All right. So the bell ringer question is, what do you remember about your student teaching experience? A lot of things. I was just, um, <laughs> Kayla and I just had a little quick text 10 minutes before the recording and, and, I, was, and I was getting in the mindset and I, I think I put on some Mumford and Sons and uh, <laughs> no, I remember a lot of things about the experience, but I think it was more the whole general experience of the student teaching outside of the school as well and that stage in your life and getting things figured out. Um, but of course, in the school, I remember just learning more than I've ever learned in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Young, would you, now that you're a few months removed from student teaching, what would you, what do you think about it? Yeah, you definitely get to do so much more than um, in your like classrooms, in your education classrooms versus actually being out in the field and doing it yourself and making mistakes and I think it's such a great time to be surrounded by your mentor teacher and your um, university supervisor and just like having like experts just guide you along um, this new path um, I think that was really cool because I don't think like you can really get that level of care um, like once you graduate I don't think that's, um, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's, that's true. That is sadly quite true, don't mm-hmm. you think, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. When do you have someone just looking out for you and really theoretically wanting the best for you, as was in my case, I think. But not all people have that fortunate of an experience as well, eh? Mm-hmm. You know, some people who actually go into the field, I've heard horror stories as well of people um, just not being looked after. So those of us who were have to be pretty grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I did student teaching long ago and uh, got the job at Shoreline Christian, which I was super excited about, but it was a job where I was the, basically the entire department. And so I had 
five different classes to prep for extracurriculars. I had a ton of stuff and people were very supportive, but also, I mean, there wasn't really even a department member to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's okay. I made it work. <laughs> yeah. I probably didn't know what I was doing very much for the first couple of years. So Paul, I guess, can you speak to that? Like what, um, where did your, we'll come back to student teaching maybe a little bit more in all of your great experiences with your okay. awesome mentor teacher. Yeah. Um, I think we picked up on that a little bit, but we should probably go back to that. <laughs> Let's just um, ease it out. Yeah. yeah. Spread it out. Spread <laughs> yeah. the love. Yeah. We don't want to you know, overwhelm people. Um, but so what, where did your journey kind of take you after student teaching? How did you get into the classroom after that? Yeah. So I like, all of us here went to Calvin College and I was only there for really a year and a half and then my student teaching. Um, But that's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then I went to do my student teaching, of course, at Shoreline Christian near in Shoreline, just north of Seattle. And so that was in a place I'd never really been before. And I was super excited and anxious to go. Um, And that, of course, I really enjoyed that experience. And then after I left that, I drove back across the States, um, to Grand Rapids alone this time, actually. And then uh, graduated that summer. I thought I'm going to the Netherlands. That was always my dream. And was willing to, you know, work on a chicken farm if I had to. But then eventually I did get a teaching gig and I just got super lucky. And then from the, the years on, I was sponsored in terms of visas, which is always the biggest thing. And now, um, I have a permanent residence, so I've been teaching here the last, I'm in my sixth year, sixth year now, and uh, no looking back. That's all? Six year at that, just overall teaching? Yes, six years overall. Okay, Okay. that makes sense. Um, Well, and so tell me, or can you, do you give, have any advice or information? I know some people think about, I remember hearing about international schools and thinking that would be a really cool gig do you have any advice about that about how to get into it yeah so um of course i need to say that i was fortunate but i do think that um there's kind of a route that people take you know if they look at going abroad certainly american teaching degrees are, are highly valued abroad so americans are at an advantage there and then they can look at certain regions of the world you're more likely to get a, a teaching job than others i don't think you can safely say that you'll be so fortunate and go boom into the netherlands or germany or england and get an international school job but certainly if you go to korea or japan or the middle east somewhere there are a lot of opportunities for adventure and for teaching as well Um, So I think that's probably the best way to go about it. Awesome. Um, So let's see. (laughs) Uh, I don't want to ask too leading of questions, but if, well, I guess. I have a question for you. Okay. Oh, okay. I know a quick one. I wanted to know how many years into teaching you were when you took me on as a student teacher. Okay. What year was that? Uh, that was 2013. 2013. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I was probably uh, six or seven years into it. So kind of like where you are. Yeah, that's what I was trying to make that frame of reference, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So 
And I felt at that point, I felt I had a pretty good handle on things. And really you came in at a pretty, well, for me at least, a time where my teaching was really transforming and I was really figuring out uh, what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. It was like the height of my Twitter teaching. So we've had a Twitter episode on here before. So it was when I started Mm -hmm. adopting flipped classroom principles and I was really active in social studies chat on Twitter, um, just getting lots of great ideas. And, and I remember talking with you on the phone before you started and telling you that you should get on Twitter and join the chats. And I don't, I don't think you ever did that. I did give it a shot. I, I've got a kind of theory about this, but you know, I, I did give it a shot. And certainly on Facebook, I was on a lot of things on Facebook. Um, but when I let, I treat social media as kind of like many as just kind of a, an escape or relaxing, and I couldn't make that transition to Twitter or Facebook and be using it because then work was just always on my mind, you know, and that's why I had to stop. But uh, yeah, that Twitter picture I had, my students dug that up, so that's gotten me in trouble a couple times. <laughs> well, oh, well, let's come back to that in a minute, but I know what you mean. Right now, I think I'm actually experiencing that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because I've joined a lot of Facebook groups for teachers that are teaching online. I was already in a few and then I joined more and, and then actually I gave up Instagram for Lent. And so I feel like my, um, my social media was, it was just way too much on Facebook and on Twitter. It was just full of teacher stuff and I, it was a lot. And, and so I'm grateful to have Instagram back in the fold now so oh. that I can even things out a little bit more. <sighs> yeah. So I know what you mean wanting to get that escape. And it used to be more for me, just Twitter was just for teaching and Twitter really is mostly just mm-hmm. for teaching. But now that it has merged into Facebook a lot more, it is getting to be uh, quite a lot. But that reminds me, um, I'm sure speaking of things that have come back to bite you the brat street boys oh that's <laughs> that's made its way overseas oh yeah so young do you, i'm sure you recall can you tell uh, tell us about yeah. like, what's this brat street boys so i think this started out as a, a student council fundraiser project mm-hmm. um and if we like raise enough money and like um, well, the, the, our science teacher would shave his mustache. It was really weird. Um, <laughs> another teacher straightened her hair. It was also really weird. But the best thing that came out of this was Paul and our English teacher, Mr. Bratt, um, and some of the other male teachers formed the Bratt Seat Boys and saying, I want it that way. And they made an amazing music video. And I still <laughs> just... Remember, we watched it in chapel twice because <laughs> after the first time, like all the students were like, play it again, play it again. <laughs> I know, you had to rewatch it. Um, uh, well, and I, I remember several years later, word got out that YouTube had taken it down due to copy restraint, uh, copyright restrictions, mm-hmm. although uh, I believe it is back. I think it's back up. Yeah, yeah. I think it's back and YouTube has yet to take it mm-hmm. down. So hopefully they're not coming after us now. Um, <laughs> but that was, 
that was quite the project for your student teaching. So I definitely applaud you, Paul, for that, for being a part of the Bradstreet yeah. Boys. And yeah, it's definitely one of those things that will haunt you for quite a long time. You know, that one, uh, that one did come to haunt me here. And, and, and it's classic, classic mistake. I left my email on the ProWise and on the computer thing in the classroom. And then my liked YouTube videos. And there was only one liked YouTube video on my, like, I don't like YouTube videos. I'm not that kind of guy. So, uh, <laughs> so sure enough, they found it. They saw it on my YouTube home screen and the rest was history. Oh man. Yeah. That's quite a legacy there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was, there was some explaining to do there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, all right. So tell me, tell me, I'm interested, you know, as your former mentor, this is a really big question and you can answer it smaller, I guess, but like, what's your teaching philosophy these days? Like what are, how do you see yourself as a teacher and how do you view your learners? And yeah, that's a great question. Um, I was actually just thinking about it the other day, not to sound like cliche. So I, I, I feel a little bit prepared for this, but because I just said goodbye to my exam students, a lot of them, we were kind of, I was imparting my final words of wisdom, you know, and they were reflecting on their memories. And one thing that came up was like, what is, <clears throat> what was your goal with us? You know, and it was a fair question. And and I and I really like my school's mission statement, actually. I think most teachers don't know their their school's mission statement, but but ours is for for every child to enjoy their youth. Hmm. And I remember creating that and I and I like the simplicity of it. And is it all encompassing for all the things you want to learn in a school? No, maybe not. But I think it it has that guiding premise that all teachers should try to get kids to enjoy their lessons, enjoy the school experience. And that leads to things like safety and safeguarding and anti-bullying and, and all these the things that fall under the umbrella. But uh, I kind of align with my school's mission statement. I really try to make sure that my lesson level has a level of enjoyment that all kids can benefit from. Hmm. So say, say the mission statement. Uh, well, go ahead. You go. This okay. is the classic um, Zoom, the classic Zoom <laughs> that we all encounter these days. You go. No, no. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, I, I was going to say, like, if you can reflect back when you were student teaching, um, can you articulate, like, how your views on education and what that means to you has changed and evolved? Yeah, well, I, I think back then, oh, all those years ago, uh, I, rem I remember being conscious of how much I was actually learning because Kaylin um, was told to me by my professor I respected a lot. He said, she's the pro. She's the best I've had, you know, as a supervising teacher. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, she was pr came pretty highly esteemed, you know. And, mm -hmm. um, and then I just remember how much, and still to this day, till my lessons now, um, she's, she's impacted the things I've done. And she allowed also room for making my own decisions and my own style as well, which I think is really important. There are some things that literally in my classroom to this day, have, I got from her. Um, but one thing mm -hmm. I never really got from her or used myself was I, I didn't, I remember making so many PowerPoints back then and I haven't used a PowerPoint mm -hmm. in a year and a half. And that's not a bad thing. I think it's just that you find what works for you, you know? And right. so mm -hmm. I think, what 
that's was maybe my learning philosophy then is that we're all learners and we're all figuring this out. And of course, I still feel that way. Um, but uh, I think that word that Calvin loved so much was with itness. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember mm-hmm. our professor saying that quite a lot, and and you know, and you saying that a couple times as well. And and I think that was always such a you have to be flexible when you're young. You have to be okay with learning and making mistakes. And that's just really how I felt at that time. Just to make some more connections, your university supervisor was my supervisor as well when I was- Oh, no way. And no mine, way. And, and, and mine. And, and Shout out so. to Scooney Youngin, if I said that S- correctly. SJ, <laughs> yeah. You know, when I was at, at in, in Shoreline, he flew out to Shoreline from Grand Rapids. Right. Did you do this? Uh, oh no, because you did yours in Michigan, right? No, I, I was in Michigan, but um, he he spoke to us in chapel and he talked like the first words that he said was like, there's something like I died like two years ago or something like that. Or like, I have a pig inside of me talking about his heart um, valve yeah. transplant. And yeah. we were just like, what is going on? Yeah. But I think like, secretly from that moment, I was like, okay, like I could go to Calvin and become a, a social studies history teacher yeah. and yeah. I don't know and you guys just also like helped pave the way for me so I know he, he speaks highly of me I don't know I still feel like people just get me confused for somebody else I don't <laughs> think I can be as good as they say but just take it take okay. it take it and revel okay, in it okay I will <laughs> I mean I do remember you yeah you I, like I said, I was changing a lot of things at the time that you were working with me and I, I let, I let you do your own thing. You didn't want to do everything that I wanted you to do and that's okay. Um, and I let you go that way. I did make you do some flipped lectures with me at the time. Yep. Um, and yeah, and I would say related to what you said before, you know, the flipped classroom, like video lectures that moved me on a journey away from yeah lectures in general and to just putting student learning at the center and students are the active ones. And it's not really about what I say. It's about what they're doing and how they're demonstrating their learning. Um, so I was probably in a transition point at that time, all those video lectures, like I said, kind of led me to be thinking, okay, well, why are we doing these lectures or, you know, just reimagining my classroom and how that looked. And so you mentioned you also have moved away from PowerPoint. So tell me more about that. So what have you moved toward? Well, I think, um, what I, what I use is the agenda system, kind of like that daily planner agenda, something that you put on the board. And I got that from you and I've adapted that to serve my own needs in the curriculum, blah, 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 blah. But I still have one for every, every lesson. And then I can put it on my own website. Another idea I got from you, but uh, put on my own website so they can always look at it if they miss a lesson. So these, these were kind of the things that, um, I did take away, but instead of a PowerPoint, um, I'll use those agendas and they'll have links to infographics that I'm going to use or link to a video or that's, so it's kind of that you still have something on the screen, but going into a, um, a PowerPoint to disseminate information, that's just not the way I've tended to do it. Yeah. I actually got the agendas, I believe from my cooperating teacher from student teaching. So 
It's there going go. way back, way back. There you go. Yeah. Isn't that nice though? Isn't that nice how things like that get passed on? I know it is the good yeah. things, right? To let students know what mm-hmm. they're going to do today. And how, it yeah. was also for me to like, keep me on track. It's not I'm for them. It's yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> what, where did we stop last class? Oh yeah. Right there. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's move to the present, I guess, unless young, do you have further thoughts or questions or Paul? Yeah. Okay. Um, so here we are, um, quarantined to our homes. So just to give updates, cause we're all in different places. So I'm in Michigan. Um, we stopped, uh, let's see, March 13th or sorry, March 12th was our last day with students. And then abruptly that Thursday night, um, like all the students were supposed to be coming in on Friday, abruptly it was called off. Um, Teachers quickly scrambled to, I don't know, do whatever it is they want to do or or just to try to figure out what does this even look like. So that that Friday we put together packets more or less because that was all we were really prepared for. And uh, parents picked them up that afternoon and we've been out of school ever since. At first it was just to be going to be through, through this week basically. And we were supposed to be back to school basically, yeah, um, this past Monday or Tuesday. Um, and the governor, when did it happen? Maybe... Two weeks ago, the governor basically called off school for the rest of the school year. And we all, we just submitted our plan to the state about what home learning looks like. Um, They gave some flexibility to districts, knowing that not every district is the same. I work in a district um, outside of Detroit, which It's definitely, uh, basically all kids get free and reduced lunch. Um, they, there's a huge, probably 60% English language learner population. Um, so it's online learning as Mm -hmm. we're trying, you know, we offer online resources and cause me as the tech coach, right. I'm like, oh, this is my time. I'm feeling like I am a kid in a candy store because people like actually want to hear what I have to say these days. Um, But for the most part, um, the packets are our main mode of instruction. Um, Just because of our clientele, we're not one-to-one. We did get some devices out to the high school students, but in general at the elementary and middle school, um, not so much. We're still looking at that. Um, but anyway, uh, it's kind of been an exciting time for me as a tech coach because I'm just ramping things up like three times a week. We've got webinars going on, training people about different tech tools. And so it's been exciting time for me that way. Uh, but it is a bummer being like totally stuck in the house for ever, <laughs> it seems. 
So tell us, uh, Young, what's it like over there in Seattle? I know Seattle was hit early on, um, but Michigan has turned out to be, I think we are the, we have the third highest number of cases as far as states go in the United States. Um, and most of them are centered in my county that I live in. So, um, yeah, it's real special. I think there's, I last checked, so I'm sure it's higher, but I think there were like 12,000 cases in our county. Um, Whoa. So anyway, we, we play it nice and safe. I just pick up my groceries and that's, that's all I do. And the, and that's, and I don't even go in the store. I just order and, and have them deliver it to the back of my minivan. So otherwise, uh, we're just hunkered down here. What about you, Young? Hmm. no don't even get me started so oh it's snowing there isn't it it's snowed today there's snow on the ground right now it's like because yeah walks last week walks loved it walks were wonderful (laughs) around the neighborhood but this week it's so cold Ugh. anyway it should be apparently tomorrow it's going to be 53 and sunny so whatever michigan gosh Anyway, so Paul, you're over in the Netherlands. So tell us what's been going on there. Yeah, so it's it's interesting about the timelines because the Netherlands was hit fairly early. You know, it was pretty a pretty big problem in Spain and Italy was the first to, to really go here. But the Netherlands has taken, I think, a more relaxed approach than a lot of other countries. Um, you know, when Amer- we have the exact same timeline for when our school closed. Um, mm-hmm. It was that, that Friday, the 12th or the 13th, uh, I think it was, of, of March. And that's what we found out. Well, we didn't find out till the Sunday evening. Uh, and then the Monday morning, the teachers went into work and kind of made some preparations. But we, we, had, we had been preparing for two weeks as a school beforehand. Curriculum leaders had been, we, we saw, you know, the writing was on the wall. And... Um, we saw what was going on in Italy. We saw what was going on in Spain. So we said, okay, this is a matter of time. Um, so we, the curriculum leaders like myself, we had to try to get our departments, you know, start putting things online, make a Google Classroom if you haven't already. Um, and yeah, sure enough, we we had to start going online. And I think, Kaylin, we've got a different scenario. I, I mean, I have a completely different scenario than you when it comes to um, what, like every student has a computer at home. 
And not only that, it's really every student. So when you've got families with three kids, they all have computers um, because that's another problem that some families have, right? Is access to one computer if you've got more kids. But if they don't have enough, our school has enough to give out. Um, and so we can do a lot more in terms of e-learning um, than maybe some other areas of the world. So we're pretty fortunate on that end. And yeah, that's been it's been five weeks. It's like, okay. Yeah. So tell us, so since you're in the thick of things, this is another yeah. reason why we had you on the podcast, many reasons, but um, <laughs> what have you, you know, you've been at it for about five weeks with yeah. students. What have you learned about remote learning? Um, yeah. 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 I've got a, I've got a couple of things I think I could say. I think, that first week, I will never forget how my view on e-learning and how it should be done in this scenario changed every 24 hours, um, that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, how I should approach this, what's necessary. I remember by the end of that week, and still kind of to this day, the importance of live lessons or an element, a live element to a lesson became really apparent in our scenario. Um, we have, our whole school is using, I think, Google Suites, so everyone is on Hangouts. We have Google Meets if we need to. Um, but, you know, a lot of those kids are starving for uh, some sort of connection, right? And and um, they have a hard time, really, if you just say, okay, here's your work for today or here's your work for the week, you know, just hankering down and doing it is, for a lot of these students, really tough. Um, so I think... I've learned that having live lessons and then, then they're there, uh, they're, they're present, most of them, I got to say. And um, it just gives it a little bit, you know, we can check in, you can see how they're doing. They don't have to turn their cameras on, but just to hear them is, is really nice. I think it's good for everyone involved. So how often are you doing that with each class? Uh, I, would say, I would say, yeah, four out of five classes, I will have the whole class live or um, li half of it live. Um, Every day? And, yeah. When I was teaching as much, when I was teaching, you know, I mentioned before, but how many lessons I'm teaching right now due to ex exam classes being uh, over. Um, but yeah, when I was teaching, yeah, pretty much every class I, I would have a live component. I found it, it, it would take um, less preparation time, actually, than doing all the things that you would have to send them. And then because you, there's less room for assessment, I don't, I have a lot of leeway in terms of how I assess and how much I assess. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't have, you know, some dictation as to, I need to meet this quota by the end of the week or the month or something like that. So that also has given me a little bit of freedom with how I can approach this. But yeah, if you're in a district that says, you know, we need some assessment grade every week or every two weeks, I don't know if you could do what I'm doing. Well, were you, speaking of grades, were you giving like real grades or how did that work? Yeah, that's been the, the, the topic of the last week, I would say, in our school organization is, is kind of talking about, okay, long term. First of all, we don't know when schools can close, but we always had end of year exams. I, I teach in a very strong exam culture, for better or for worse. Um, it all comes down to that, what you're able to perform at the end. Um, or 60 to 70% of it. So we have to think now about what we're actually going to do at the end of the year and how we are going to assess if we are at home, which could likely 
be the case. Um, so I've started talking with my department, trying to figure out and getting their suggestions, what's working for them, how can we assess. So we're looking at maybe doing, getting them to record a screencast, you know, from a project they've done or something like that, screencast from you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, that one's definitely from you. Mm-hmm. And actually, I, here's a nice one. So I, because I use them um, and people had found out that I've used them, then my my principal, based on my recommendation of it, bought a whole bought the whole really expensive Screencastify school. Oh, thing. yeah. So that's uh, that's again. There you go. That's good to hear. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Okay, so it sounds like you're doing Screencasts, and it sounds yeah. like you're using Google Meet or Google Hangouts Meet. Um, any other tech tools you've been using? Ooh. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so anything on Google Suite. So we've been using Hangouts Meets. Um, and uh, at the beginning, I was looking at maybe, you, I remember looking, I used it with you, Edmodo. Remember that with all the badges? And, <laughs> I uh, but I think that I was teaching the oldest students and to start off with them, then it didn't really make sense. Um, I actually have been using simple things like Kahoot and quizzes and things like that for, you, they actually kind of work well live. If the kids are on their phone, they're still, you can see how many participants there are. And so those kind of tools work well, but yeah, recording screencasts has been a, has been a big, big thing for me. Um, I love doing that. I think it works really well. And then it feeds into that live component, right? Of the live lesson, you can discuss what they should have watched and, I always find them really awkward to, to, to listen to, you know, when it's finished and you're like, you hear yourself, you're like, oh, that's a couple octaves higher than I thought it was, you know, but uh, I, I, the, kid, the kids say it works and they, they listen to it and they say, I, I say isn't this annoying? They're like, no, this is just you. You're like, oh, thanks. You know? I know. I know. I, I know what you're saying, but people are coming back with all that research that I remember hearing too, that like yep. having your, your voice, because of course, like crash course videos are more entertaining than yep. you. Oh yeah. Those. Um, but at the same time, they, especially right now, they do want to hear your voice and all of that. So, um, well, if I, well, I will, I will give out some tech tips here. <laughs> so, Bring it. Yeah. I, I got my pen. Okay. okay. I could, I could text you or email later. We can do it first. Anyway. So Flipgrid number one, um, you know, you are fortunate in your setup where you can have live lessons, but at the same time, um, you know, people need think time and even just like we need think time in the classroom, I think virtually is the same thing. So if you can use Slipgrid and give them a prompt, uh, via video, and then they respond via video, but they can do it on their own time. They can watch others on their own time, um, and still get that connection piece because yeah, at, at our school, if they, if they do, or in our district, let's say they only have a cell phone and it is shared, you know, Flipgrid's going to be a lot easier for them to asynchronously still have some connection with their classmates and their teacher and show their learning and their thinking. Um, but it doesn't have to be live at the same time. Um, so Flipgrid would be number one. Uh, and then number two would be Nearpod. Um, so Nearpod is, you can take, a traditional 
anything, a Google slide, or you can even, it doesn't even have to be Google slide. Nearpod actually has um, like a virtual reality. So you could take them to the Parthenon, let's say virtually. Um, anyway, within it, you can submit or you can include activities or so you can start off with a quiz, see what they know, then show them some things, um, quiz them again, give them some some response things, then do an open-ended response. There's a collaborate board. Um, there's a draw it feature so they can draw out uh, their what they're thinking. And the lovely thing about Nearpod, and Pear Deck honestly works mostly the same way. I'd say they're very equal tools. I slightly prefer Nearpod. Um, you can do a live lesson. So kind of like those cahoots, you can do a Zoom session and they can have in another tab, you can have Nearpod open and you're getting, you're seeing their answers as they're answering. So you're getting real-time feedback about their understanding of the content. Um, or the right now Nearpod's um, free, of course, for, for this, the premium features. So they also have student paced lessons, which um, during, is in, in a free account, you don't have access to, but right now they're allowing you to do that student paced lesson. So again, you can, you can house all of your links and all of your interactions because you can also go out to another website from there and then they come back. Oh, well, actually they never really leave the platform and answer questions or post reflections about what they learned. So Nearpod I think is a really great way that kids are gonna get instant feedback because that's important. They wanna know, you know, that grading issue, whether, whether they're getting graded or not, is tough, but you do need to provide feedback so they know if they're getting it and they know that it's important what they're doing. So Nearpod um, would be one to look into. I think got it, got it written down. Yes, I think those would be my my two uh, main, and then you know quizzes. Although you can essentially anyway. Okay, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it. At that. <laughs> Don't get me going. I was gonna bring up an edu protocol, uh, but I will just leave that alone for now. I love edu protocols. They are my favorite, and uh, you can actually do them pretty nicely within Nearpod as well. But that's something I'm working on now. Uh, sure. Ooh, do you want to go, Paul, or do you want me to go first? I'm just uh, just jotting it down. No, that's, I mean, such a, it's a two-part question, but they're both behemoths. Both parts are 
are so huge, you know. Um, what's going to happen um, within education? I think it's, I think my answer will be definitely different than Kaylin's because we're just in different geographical locations and different in school districts or schools with different socioeconomic backgrounds. And, and um, I do think, of course, we're going to look at the role technology will play at our, at our school. I think we have to, we're, we don't have um, a school where we, I forget the name for it, Kaylin, you'll know, but where every kid has a laptop. Or, one-to-one. Yeah, one-to-one. There it is. Um, we're not a one-to-one school. We do have laptops and things like that, but I think we really are going to have to think about in the future what we do in these scenarios. So I think that's one likely change on a small scale. Um, on a broader, and I think this goes into your second point, is what do you, like, best-case scenario? I would. I really think that this will happen, is that for us, like I said earlier, that ex- exams are so high stakes, and the exam world, the international exam world, I mean, these are hundreds of thousands of students globally, um, was completely rocked by this because they are supposed to have exams right now and they can't have all those kids in these classrooms. So they canceled all exams and now it's complete, you know, it's very difficult. It's a little bit chaotic to get the grades in and all these expectations are changing and thinking about the kids as well, these poor kids who have studied for the last two years for the, these exams and then boom, all the fun things are taken out from underneath them, right? All their graduation parties and galas and prank week. And um, I think I think exams will have to change and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully university admissions as well have to look at this and say, are how do we really assess what a good incoming student is? Because I know so many of the top tier universities in the world all publish research saying we should get rid of, you know, SATs, ACTs, tests, and look a little bit more holistically. But then they're also the ones that have the highest admission standards, right? These universities are the ones publishing it. So hopefully maybe they can use this as an opportunity to practice what they preach. I like your thoughts. And I agree that, yeah, we're in two different spots as far as what's, although um, I will say as we, as our district does make plans for we don't know when, when are we going to be out of this? Michigan, like you said, has, is the third highest infection rate in the States. Um, so we are thinking about, okay, how can we go, how can we get devices out there and internet out there to the families, especially as we think about what this looks like for next school year, uh, as they're, mm, yeah, we won't get into that. Um, but I will say I am excited. I don't, Obviously, I do not like coronavirus. I do not like being quarantined. But if this is what it takes to bring the needed change to education, then I'm all about it, right? Especially from from my tech perspectives. But it's not even about a tech perspective. Um, But I do think, and we've talked about this before, there's so many things in education that are rooted in like the industrial revolution model of, of things. And it's like, we need to get out of that. And, and we, we don't, um, because we've always done things this way, this way, this way. Um, so this is forcing teachers to use technology. And, um, so I'm, you know, of course excited about that and where I hope it ultimately goes is yeah the idea where students are 
actively? How are students going to be more actively showing their learning? How are they going to demonstrate mastery? Like I'd love to move more toward a mastery based system and not just like point grabbing here and there. Um, and of course, tech enhanced lessons, because, you know, there are some great tools out there like Nearpod and Flipgrid that get students engaged and active. Um, and the teacher is not at the center of it all because they can't be right now. Um, so I'm very hopeful or excited or I don't know, it's bad to be that at this time, but I think it does hopefully bring positive change to education. Um, I will say on a flip side, I guess, um, you know, we do have a secondary background, but right now I'm working a lot with elementary teachers and also my son is going to be in kindergarten next oh. year. And yeah. And so I got to say, thinking about kindergarten level, what is he capable of? And I can't, you know, like if, if next school year he's in school sometimes, not in school other times, he's trying to learn how to read. I'm trying, I'm trying to teach him how to read, um, but it's hard. <laughs> I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, he doesn't really want to do it either. Um, anyway, so, and, and me, that's me being a parent that can be pretty involved and has access, access to technology. So um, thinking about those little kindergartners, first graders, they and they've got to learn how to read right these are some foundational things you know whether or not they get to um pick a civil war out there you know of course it's very important but um you know reading and and basic math skills these little foundational things for elementary students is is a tough one and that and that's you know of course it's doable but i think it's it's difficult. It's difficult. Oh, man. Sure. So anyway, any, any thoughts you want to add to that young? Well, we should be wrapping things up. Thanks. Did you have, Young, was that your question of the day or do you? 
That was it was a big, big question. question of the day. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I know. And that's an exciting question for people to think about. And it's crazy times. And Paul, we appreciate you sharing your perspective about being a classroom teacher right now online. Um, and we thank you all for listening. See you, see you, hear you. Bye-bye. Join, <laughs> join us next time. <laughs>